Hi everyone, my name is Francisco Guilherme and this is Connected, the podcast of Nova Economics Club. This podcast is done in a partnership with Fidelidad Studio. We would like to thank Fidelidad for giving us access to the studio and its equipment. Today our guest is Professor Pedro Pita Barros, who is joining us from home. Professor Pedro Pita Barros is a professor at Nova SBE and also a researcher. He is largely recognized to be one of the greatest economists in health economics, and he is former president of both the European and the Portuguese health economics associations. Professor, thank you for coming and for joining us here. Thank you for the invitation. To discuss today the impacts of COVID-19 pandemic in the health systems and how health economics can have a positive impact in preventing situations like we had this time with COVID-19. So first, Professor, uh, a more general question. Uh, COVID-19 has challenged healthcare in ways that were basically never seen before since we had the last pandemic in the previous century, but the health systems there were completely different than today. Our health systems today um, were faced with this pandemic uh, when no one could have saw it, come, saw it coming. So what do you think are the major lessons we should take from this pandemic to our health systems? How can they improve? How can we be prepared for something like this? Uh, well, um, we are still learning the lessons. So this is much uh, of learning on the, on the going. Um, but we can already take some, um, some lessons from uh, what happened in the last uh, eight, nine months. Uh, the first of them is that uh, no health system is really prepared for a shock of this magnitude. And so what probably the, the best that health systems can achieve is to try to be ready, to be prepared when the occasion comes. What means is that they need to have um, in place uh, what we call now resilience systems or what we call preparedness. Uh, whatever you want to call it, but it's not just having capacity or having human resources, it's just having the flexibility to learn quickly how to deploy the resources that we have in a most effective way. So it's uh, virtually impossible to be prepared for any shock that may occur in, a, in an economy in terms of health or in a society in terms of health. So we cannot be prepared for everything that may occur. We need to be prepared to be prepared. So we need to prepare the preparation. So when we have a shock, we are able to react and then adjust what is needed for that shock. That's probably the, the major lesson uh, at, this, at this stage. But we also have um, a series of smaller lessons uh, from, the, from the very small details to the very large picture. And uh, we can put, uh, I'd say, in different layers of, of lessons, the first one at organizational level. We have learned uh, from the beginning of this pandemic the importance of having um, the ability to react quickly, to give freedom uh, to, to decide, in this case to hospitals, uh, in terms of preparation for the pandemic patients and uh, the way they have taken the leadership in their decision-making without uh, waiting for very bureaucratic decisions to be made at the central level. Uh, we saw the hospitals starting to change and starting to increase their own flexibility to react to the pandemic demands. And that's probably the first lesson, decentralization and the freedom of, of uh, decision-making at the uh, lower levels at the hospitals actually pays off in terms of flexibility to respond to the, to the pandemic. And we have seen that in Portugal uh, when we had the first uh, hospitals to, to be hit by the COVID-19 patients in the north of the country, start putting in place um, 
lots of mechanisms or several mechanisms to deal with it, with the flexibilization in, of internal services, uh, new routines, separation of circuits uh, for patients with COVID and without COVID-19. And all of that uh, experiences in the first days, the first weeks, were then passed on to the rest of the health uh, system, in particular to the hospitals in the Na National Health Service. So that's the first uh, lesson. We need to react quickly, learn fast, and pass on the, those learnings. Then we have um, a second uh, layer of learning, a second lesson that we got from the pandemic was the sheer importance of having a, a good primary care network. Uh, although much of our focus uh, currently goes for the hospitals and they are more on the spotlight, it's, uh, it's the case that the vast majority of patients are actually followed uh, by primary care services, by primary care physicians, by the family doctors. And because we have um, uh, close to 90% of patients actually being treated at home, uh, told, told to be in confinement, to, to, to take just uh, paracetamol or some drugs uh, to, to lower the fever, and only if they need, they should go to the hospitals. And that was an important lesson in the beginning of the pandemic. We all uh, had in mind um, the TV images from uh, hospitals in, in Italy and Spain that were overridden by patients at the time. And we avoid that in uh, the first wave just by having a strong primary care system that actually uh, was able to take care of the patients. Uh, this is also true now. Uh, with the number of people infected that we have nowadays in Portugal, more than 100,000 people, it will be impossible to have all of them in the hospitals. So we need a strong primary care network to take the people, to treat people at home, to take care of people if they stay um, sick, but they stay uh, under vigilance in their own places. And so that's probably the second uh, lesson that's important. It's not just the hospitals that matter, it's the full um, cycle of uh, care uh, from primary care to the, to the hospitals. Uh, the third um, le lesson that we got is that um, uh, public health activities, uh, in particular uh, the public health um, ability to trace uh, contacts, to understand uh, how the epidemics evolve, which was uh, kind of in, uh, slowly fading away uh, into oblivion, uh, so nobody was paying too much attention to it, now regained uh, focus and uh, uh, we have learned uh, that uh, we cannot neglect uh, public health, we cannot neglect primary care, we cannot neglect hospital care. So the health system as a whole needs to be coherent, needs to be um, uh, totally integrated in terms of the ability to, to respond to these pandemics. And um, if we look now at the current situation in our third wave, let's call it third wave, the current momentum, it's clear that if we had a still stronger public health system, probably we'll be facing uh, this period with less difficulties than we are having. And so that's the third lesson. We need to take all the, all the public health elements into account, even in the normal times, they seem to be of less importance. Uh, cannot be that only in crisis we will uh, have to pay attention to them. So that will be the uh, kind of a third lesson. Uh, and this covers pretty much uh, the, the lessons on the health system uh, organization. Then we have lessons for, the, for society as a whole. First of all, we have lessons for official communication, uh, which has had high moments, very good moments of good communication with population and getting things done, and they have low, point, low points as well. We had up, ups and downs in this communication, and, um, and it's not easy to sustain effective communication for a long time. In this case, we are going for 
close to 10 months of the pandemic. And uh, we learned, and it's important to learn what has worked and what has not worked, uh, how people have been paying attention to what, how people have been following official communications and how they are respecting recommendations. That's the, um, the fourth lesson. It's much harder to, to um, establish effective communication during a pandemic than just for short, uh, short bursts of need. And uh, long-term um, long communication to be effective, credible, uh, needs to be sought very carefully. Uh, if you want, later on, we can distinguish eventually some periods on this communication, uh, but it's clear that it plays a major role in, during the pandemic period. Uh, the, the fifth lesson, it's the, I'm going to keep broadening up the, what the, the type of lessons, is the importance of science. Uh, and uh, today we have some hopes uh, that uh, the pandemic may be over soon, maybe by the summer, by, maybe slightly before, slightly after the summer, based on the vaccine. Now, vaccines were developed in this case with safety in record time because science was able to gear all the efforts to the production uh, of the discovery process of a vaccine. Uh, true that uh, some of the knowledge was on the, on the making for several years. Uh, we knew uh, more or less process, several processes by which we could try to get a vaccine, but science and scientists were, were able to produce in record time something that gives hope that we may put the pandemic behind us in less than a year from now. And that's another important lesson. Science pays off and it um, does not need to be necessarily science for the market in the immediate future. Sometimes long-term science pays off in unexpected ways. And here in the development of vaccine, probably that's the case as well. Some basic science was put to use this time when it was time of need. Uh, the, another lesson that we, can, that we are learning every day is how interconnected the health of people and the economic system are, in, are interconnected, how they inter, are interweaved, let's say, in, in profound ways. And, um, and we discovered, uh, on, well, in the hard way, that there is not really a choice between health and wealth. We have both of them going together. And, it's, uh, it, and it is quite curious that we saw in Portugal during the first days of the pandemic, March last year, that the major concern of people was with health. But a month later, two months later, there was already um, at, a, at the same level or even higher for some groups, uh, worries, concerns about economic impact that people were feeling from the pandemic. And clearly health and wealth go together on, on these matters and is going to put some challenges that will not end when the pandemic ends. So the economic effects of the pandemic will remain for several more years, maybe five years, maybe 10 years. We are, it's too early to know, but it's going to be also le lessons for us economists to see, to think about how to prepare better economic systems or support systems from, uh, from the government point of view to the economic shocks that may accompany these uh, sort of health shocks as well. That's also a lesson on the making at this point. And uh, we'll have learned um, other aspects uh, on a general level. We'll learn as a society uh, things like the importance of individual freedoms and the importance of mental health. Uh, and it's clear that uh, many of us now probably are giving more uh, value to freedoms and to uh, ways of life that we had before the pandemic that we took as granted and that we saw that could be dramatically changed in a period of crisis as this uh, COVID-19 pandemic was. And that probably will make us uh, later on rethink about how we organize our lives and how we organize our work. 
We have learned also that uh, uh, working from the distance, like we are doing at this very moment with this uh, with this call, uh, will probably will change um, uh, profoundly several things that we several ways that we have developing work. But it also has some dangers. It is after eight months, nine months of this telework, we are now becoming aware that. Uh, some elements of personal interaction or physical interaction in the same place um, are as important uh, as the knowledge that's, uh, or the discussions that take place. And that um, physical presence also plays a role and cannot be fully substituted by communication, electronic communication means. Uh, and that's one also an important lesson. Probably in the future, we are going to see less meetings um, taken by, um, by physical uh, presence but not all of them will disappear, and probably it's not good that uh, they would have to disappear. Uh, the same thing for, for schools and learning. We have, uh, although the schools in March last year were the first items to, or the first uh, activities to close down, uh, out of fear and out of uh, lack of knowledge of, uh, of, how the, of how the pandemic would work, uh, nowadays we are keeping schools open, and it was actually highlighted by the Prime Minister as one of the major changes to the previous general confinement. And that was a lesson learned, that uh, uh, schools um, are an important element in, in terms of learning and cannot be replaced by the electronic means of distance learning. That's also a lesson that, uh, that we got from, from this period. On terms of the job market and what the working in companies, we also learned that there are some, some activities that can be done at distance, so you can use telework, but there is a danger that the boundary between work and, and the family, that uh, between work and leisure, start to fade away. And uh, while we have a clear cutting point when people have to commute from work to home and have a break point in their activities on that, if we are doing all of these things at the same time, then the frontier becomes more blurred. And sometimes you may get getting into too much work and entering, entering burnout just because it's very easy to keep on the demands on people to keep working uh, after hours. That's going to be a, a lesson as well that we can benefit from uh, these new communication means, but we cannot take them too far as uh, taking them too far will probably be hurting the balance between life uh, and work, uh, family life and work and so on. So that's also something that we are still learning how to, how to deal with it, but it's certainly a lesson that, that it goes. And, um, and basically we learned that uh, as human beings we are highly adaptable, uh, some better than others, but we have been able to kind of reshuffle our lives in, in ways that probably will not think that will be possible if we talked about this a year ago. And uh, we still keep the hope that uh, things will improve and we still keep trying to have lives as normal as possible, adjusting in the possible ways. And so we have um, basically lessons. When you ask about lessons from the pandemic, we have lessons from the organization of health services to lessons of how we live in society. So you can pick which one you want to take first for further thoughts, uh, but certainly all of them deserve some, uh, some discussion, uh, not, really, not really now and today, but into the future and to, into your, in the way that we look back into the pandemic period. Okay, thank you, Professor. Uh, going into an idea of technology and investment, um, especially in Europe, that was probably, except for the United States, we saw that Europe was generally as a continent very affected by the pandemic. Um, we saw that uh, in, in Europe, the country's populations are being elderly and elderly. 
and we saw that health systems are not being not receiving as investment as they should have been receiving and we saw that they were still dealing with new problems and new situations using um, the tools of the past do you think that if new technologies have been taken into account and if more investment was done before the way that we face this pandemic could have been different and also if you think that in the future we are going to learn those lessons you said and actually do it differently and try to solve our new problems with new solutions uh, well certainly we're going to use technology in a different way uh, this pandemic brought a challenge that uh, some of people anticipated that could be there for the future related to the elderly care and long-term care but actually i think nobody has foreseen uh, how strong people in home cares in nursing homes uh, will be affected by the pandemic and we saw that in many countries uh, around the world not just portugal that uh, the people elderly people living in special places nursing homes or what we call in portuguese uh, structural um, home structures for the elderly in a loose translation of estruturas residenciais para idosos, we saw that they were particularly affected. And that was true in so many countries that actually no, no system was actually prepared for it. Now, that's, uh, that part um, of home care, of nursing homes, is not just uh, related to the, to the health sector. It actually goes to uh, social, social solidarity, social security systems, to uh, to a broader view of how the how the our our societies support uh, life at the end of life, uh, how do we take care of the elderly, and uh, the speed at which the, the virus has spread on those places, and the and the inability to contain uh, con uh, contagion in an effective way was something that we still have to learn to do effectively. It's uh, one thing that uh, we have learned from there is that it is important, but we haven't discovered yet what is the right mechanisms that we need to have in place to avoid uh, contagion and to keep those people safe. And that's uh, something that we are still getting. And, it's, uh, and the technology alone is not get, getting to it. Uh, the, we cannot um, do much more in, with, the, with, the new, with the new technologies when we have people that need uh, to be taken care in terms of uh, individual uh, hygiene uh, or they need to have someone uh, with them uh, because of uh, mental health conditions. And so the, the human contact, the human presence of people with those elderly is something that technology is not going to change. We might, might be getting uh, technologies to better monitor what's happened to them, to have early signs of people falling, for example, or having better devices to trace and track uh, uh, the, the virus and uh, find people that are contagious. We can certainly improve on those mechanisms, uh, on the circuits of people that enter those uh, those places, but there will be always be a human element that will not be able to cut off. And so uh, the challenge here is not just a challenge of technology, it's also a, a challenge of organization and a challenge of how as societies we want to deal with the elderly. Now it's going to be needed probably more investment, but uh, mostly different investment. Uh, one of the most uh, pressing challenges that uh, the elderly population poses is not a challenge of money, it's a challenge of organization. Uh, and by this I mean the following. In the elderly population, we, we find huge variation in, uh, in conditions and people uh, that uh, need to have someone 
by their side almost all the time and the people with the same age that are completely autonomous and if it were not for the pandemic they will be traveling around the world uh, seeing uh, the, the world and so we have a huge variation and health systems and uh, social systems in general uh, are not well prepared to deal with this diversity of, of uh, needs of the of still life goals that people may have at, may have at the end of life uh, and so the health systems need to evolve in their organization in their way of thinking and on how to deal with this, this diversity. How, how can we incorporate uh, the possibility that people with exactly the same conditions may actually have very different passes in life for the life that, that remains for them. Uh, and that's um, and dealing with diversity is the, the difficult part because it implies that you cannot just have a standard, you cannot just have a, a guideline that fits uh, everyone needs. You need to have a more flexible system uh, say uh, one um, a, quick, a quick example that I, you often use uh, in the elderly one of the risks that they face is that uh, they may fall and they may break a leg or they may have some injury from falling and so if you want to protect them you should keep the elderly people the whole day seated because that will be the way to avoid a fall but actually seriously nobody thinks that everyone above a certain age should be seated all day just to avoid the fall so there are going to be risks that people will be willing to take to take some normal life. And on that part, it's uh, quite curious that uh, one of the aspects that uh, extends life of people is not protecting them from risks, it's keeping a sense of purpose in life. And so this uh, means that uh, defining and helping people uh, to pursue a, still a sense of uh, and a purpose of life at the end of, the, of their days is uh, a challenge that uh, health systems are not used to uh, and a system that requires diversity. And that's why I don't see that technology alone will be able to solve that. Technology will be an instrument to help people find those goals and then eventually to, have, to help the health system deal with this diversity. But they will be a tool. They will not be the silver bullet that will solve it, everything. So uh, we're going to need more investment, sure, but you also need to, be, to, to have a different approach to how we deal with, uh, with this aging population uh, during this pandemic and in the future pandemics. Uh, and we see that one of the major complaints uh, of the elderly is that they don't want to be stuck at home until the pandemic uh, passes. Uh, there's a, since the beginning, there was a strong desire from many of the people that were at higher risk to not lose total contact uh, with others. And so that's something that we, that we have to deal with in the future. And again, technology will not going to solve it. It's not going to be a robo-pet that is going to solve the ability to talk with other human beings or to get out for a walk or these sort of things. So technology helps, but it's not going to be the only, the only answer to this. Okay, um, regarding the divergences between countries, we have seen, that we knew before the pandemic that different countries uh, use different health systems, we have uh, a tremendous variety of them, even between countries that are really similar when compared to other economic indicators. For example, between different countries inside the EU, we have tremendous differences when it comes to, to health systems and the way they approach the, the health of their citizens. Uh, do you think this pandemic has shown us that uh, the flaws of each system and how can we improve each system, not like one being better than the other, but that deep pandemic has shown us that no system is perfect and how 
each system should be uh, better and should be different for us to have different results than the ones we got here. Um, yes and no. Let's say the, the differences between health systems exist for a long time and we have learned to live with them in the European Union. We know that uh, uh, each country has a, its own history of health systems and curiously nobody is totally satisfied with the health system that it has in its own country but actually nobody is really willing to trade off its own system for a system of another country. And so that's a kind, it's a kind of um, difficult path to, to navigate to understand exactly how they will have to change. But uh, at this stage, uh, for, on the pandemic, after this, all these months, I think that the most important part is not exactly what is the definition of the health system that is mattering, is uh, how within the health system decisions are taken and how political decisions are taken related to health matters. And we saw uh, during the, all these months that uh, in the first wave we had countries that reacted very quickly, that closed down very quickly and tried and contained very effectively the, the spread of the virus. Uh, and the very same countries, several months later on, they were not just able to contain it and they were just uh, among the, the worst in Europe in terms of uh, uh, speed of, con uh, of the spread of the virus. And so it's um, much more with the ability of uh, decision makers, political decision makers, health decision makers, to keep a steady, a steady course and understanding uh, well uh, what is the information they have and how far they can go in terms of uh, navigating this pandemic. This pandemic is probably uh, a, more challenging than it seems for health systems when we look at it from the outside. For a simple reason, we, we may tend to think that the health systems will be a kind of clockwork machine that have decision makers that, that see the problem and they put it the system to work and they solve it. Uh, the problem here with the pandemic is that uh, part of the of containing the pandemic lies with behavior with of people. It's uh, it depends a lot on how we behave uh, in terms of decreasing the contagion. Uh, that exists uh, on the, keeping the physical distancing, on taking the necessary precautions. And so it's not a problem that the health system can fix easily. The, no health system can say, let's get uh, everyone infected and the health system will, will be able to treat everyone that needs. There's clearly the, the notion that uh, uh, no matter how well developed the health system is in, in whatever country, now doesn't matter how good doctors, how many are, how many resources they have from nurses and so on, that if with this such uh, an infectious disease, if everyone gets sick at the same time, we will not be able in the health systems to take care of everyone at the same time. And that puts a burden and that puts uh, the need uh, that you have uh, the population contributing a lot to avoid being infected. And that's the challenge that the health systems have to navigate, have to navigate uh, for, the, um, for the time being, and that's what they had to navigate in the last 10 months. And that's the critical part, and that's where the, we go back to the issues of communication and having a steady course, and we see that the differences between countries are important, but somehow the differences that we observe inside each country between decisions in one moment and decisions in another moment that try to answer the, the needs of society and the aspirations of people of being confined uh, to, uh, to stop the, the disease or being out of confinement 
to resume some sort of normal life because of economic reasons or for mental health reasons, we see that there is a delicate balance that changes over time and it's different from country to country. And at, up to this point, I don't think that any country has uh, found the exact right balance to, to do it. Uh, and, we, and we saw that countries that are very successful during certain periods then seem to be failing later on and they seem to become successful again and they co come and go on this, uh, on this on, on this, uh, I'll call it, someone has called it, of this dance with the virus, where we uh, confine, deconfine, reconfine again. And this is the, the hard part for the health systems and for the decision makers, is to understand how to better play with the, with the ability of the health system to treat the, the serious cases of infection and the behavior of people in avoiding infection and at the same time having some normal life. And so that's why it's been so difficult and so uh, with such a huge variance across countries and across uh, months, sometimes even across some weeks. Okay, Professor, just to conclude, going, uh, keeping ourselves in this governmental idea, um, nowadays we saw that uh, health authorities, even inside a government, took, as we can, could expect, um, a major role. We saw uh, as many interventions, for example, in Portugal from the, the Ministry of Health or the general uh, health director at more even more interventions than the prime minister himself so do you think that in f in future in future we say like we leave the pandemic and several years later uh, the health authorities will remain having a major role as they are having right now an important role and they will not be forgotten or do you think that our memory will be short and governments will relegate the health authorities to a second position as they were being having until now Well, um, political memory tends to be short, and so uh, probably uh, some of these aspects of the widespread uh, attention that politicians or political powers give to, to health uh, will tend to fade away a bit uh, when the pandemic is over, uh, because then other, pr other pressure points or topics will emerge, and probably recovery from the pandemic will be a topic after the health part is is kind of over. Uh, probably the same thing with uh, the fears of financial crisis, either at personal finances or uh, on the firms' uh, bankruptcies. So I'm sure that in uh, two years' time, other topics will be more preeminent than the health part. The hope here is that we uh, are able to uh, take this period and start to put inside the political system, inside the government system, so get into the, even into the health system, get uh, inbuilt mechanisms that uh, when a new shock arises, and we don't know where that shock will come from, uh, when a new shock arises, we know better how to prepare our immediate response. And so that's where we see now and the kind, kind of discussions or kind of preparations of thinking about what means to have a resilient health system. What will be the features that the resilience health system should have? Uh, and resilience here means the ability to, to feel the shock to absorb the shock, to react to the shock, and to learn from the shock, so that in the future the system will be better prepared. And so there so starts to be thinking about how we should change our institutions and our frameworks so that we can have mechanisms that in the future will react better to the shocks. Uh, it's quite uh, interesting to, to notice that as the same way that we created stress tests 
uh, for the banking system because of the banking crisis. We are not talking about uh, creating resilience uh, tests for uh, health systems to understand how they can react better into the future. There was a recent document by um, a group uh, uh, that is working with the European Commission called the Expert Panel on Effective Ways of Investing in Health, which re just released a document uh, on, the, um, on how to try to have uh, resilience tests on health systems. Uh, there is also a recent work uh, by the European Observatory on Health Systems and Policies and the uh, World Health Organization Europe, WHO Europe, on resilience of health systems. And so we're starting to see emerging a discussion, first in this uh, uh, background discussion elements about what could be done to make the system, uh, the health sector, uh, more resilient, what will be the features that should be built, what, me what mechanisms will be there. And uh, the hope that I have is that in the future, even if the health uh, shock and the health management under shocks uh, becomes a little bit out of, uh, of the focus of the moment, which is natural to happen, that at least we are able to include in the working of our governments, of our health systems, of our societies, elements that in the future will help to react to, to other shocks. And here the truly difficult part is that we don't know what, could, what will be the next shock. And so the, the, the logic that we need to be prepared to learn fast and to uh, react fast is probably one of the things that we have to prepare for the future and that policymakers will be prepared for that. Uh, and uh, the involvement uh, of the political actors in Portugal in that part is also quite, um, quite important because the, the, the way that the Prime Minister has been handling with the President of the Republic uh, uh, in, a, in tandem with, with the Prime Minister is, quite, um, is probably quite unique uh, in terms of opportunity. It's difficult to go back uh, to, the, to our history over the past 40 years and think of, of a period where you could get so, so easily this sort of cooperation that has been happening. And that could be also a lesson for uh, political actors how political actors should interact with each other, not only in moments of crisis like this one where we need to have this uh, joint effort, but also in other times to, to solve other problems. And so, so I think that's something that we can learn for the health system, but probably something that can be learned by the political uh, sector and so forth. So there is topics for discussion for political scientists as well on how to deal with this pandemic. Okay, Professor, thank you for us, it's all. This was the fourth episode of Connected. We hope you've liked it. And Professor, once again, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank, thank, you, thank you for your interest and I'd be glad to answer uh, questions by email or, or read comments that uh, the listeners may have. We can continue this discussion in other means at some point. Thank you.